How to Sell More Cars. Everyone, welcome to How to Sell More Cars. I'm your uh, your host, Terry Lancaster. We've got a great guest today. I'm very excited to talk to Mr. Charles Cannon. Charles is the uh, Charles is the general manager of Lexus of Ceremony, 20-year veteran of the automotive industry, and a brand new author. He just uh he just uh he he just opened up the um he just wrote the new book, Rules to the Game, My Life in the Car Business. And this is a, uh, a great guide. It, it does a good job of, of presenting the opportunities there in the car business. And we're going to talk about the opportunities that they have in just a minute. And we're going to talk about the, uh, the path that he, he took. And he kind of took a, a regular path, from a, a path that a lot of people face because, number one, didn't really want to be in the car business, which is a common story got in the car business and found out that it was a breeding ground for opportunity. So he picked and chose his opportunities and shoved some bad ones off to the side and found, found some great ones and hung on like crazy and finds himself here. And then he put, he put the book, tw- uh, the rules to the game. And he has, I believe there are 20 rules to the yeah. game. And what I like uh, is, is number one, right off the bat, the number one rule for the game of the car business of life itself is don't be a dinosaur. You have to change with the times and no, no better where to start because the times, my friend, they are a changing. Charles, how are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? Good, good. So, so don't be a dinosaur. Tell us what that means and, and, uh, and how, we can, how we can avoid it. Well, you know, for a lot of people in our business, once they find something that's successful and works for them, they stick with it. And sometimes that can be good. But, you know, overall, what happens is business evolves and what worked today won't necessarily work tomorrow and vice versa. So you just have to constantly be alert on what trends are happening. You know, take read stuff in your industry, see what's what's going on out there. Don't be afraid to experiment with certain things. And um, just know that this business constantly changes and evolves. And what and just know that the people who have that mindset are the ones that, that are successful. And so uh, we've got a lot going. I, I told someone that um, the car business has changed more in the last 10 years than it did in the last hundred. And the next 10 years are probably going to make the last 10 years look like smooth sailing. I've, I've been in the business. We we're just talking. I've been in the business 35, 40 years. I've never seen anything like what we've had the last couple of years, car selling at MSRP or above every day, all day. That's that's just crazy. Pre-orders, you have, you're having to go from the 500 cars on the lot to six cars on the lot. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about the changes in the dealership and and what what's the dy- what are the dinosaur traps right now that dealers have to avoid? Well, you know, the, the thing is, is that I, I call this when, when COVID hit the great reset for our industry. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, Dealers and manufacturers had a chance to see that, you know, you don't have to have 500 cars on the ground in order to be successful. You can have, you know, there's got to be a balance, obviously. But, you know, I, you know, I was, I, I was actually giving an idea. I was at a Lexus event and normally a dealership carries 75, 80, 80 days car supply of new cars. They're telling us they don't want no more than 20 because they see that's a, the sweet spot for us. And I think that works because one, it makes us more profitable because when a guest comes in, Instead of seeing 20 of the same car on the lot, they see one or two. This creates a sense of urgency for them. One, two, manufacturers have to spend less on incentives because these cars are turning quickly. Um, and three, the dealerships, you know, they realize that they can be just as profitable, not more profitable without having a bunch of cars on the ground. So it's just, it's just a great reset for us. And I think it's something that was long overdue anyway. And this was just the, the point that triggered it and put it over the top. So I, you know, we, I know you said it's changed in the last 10 years, but I would argue 
really this last two years has changed yeah. way more than it's changed in the last 10 or 15. Yeah, then in, in the last hundred, the last two years are literally unprecedented. Yeah, I, I can't think of any any other time except maybe at the at the dawn of, of the automotive industry. And do you think? I mean, we no one knows, no one's got the crystal ball. But do you think this is the new normal for you know, that everyone was talking about during the COVID? That dealers are going to have 10, 15 days of inventory, thirty days, twenty days inventory on the lot and no one's going to get back to those uh those 500 if, if the man, if, excuse me if the manufacturers are smart yes and talking to a lot of people who are across the industry that seemed like what the manufacturers are going to do you know i just hope that they don't start you know two or three years online and start creeping up to 35 40 50 day supply because you know that's they just want to see what they can get away with yeah i hope they keep it around the 15 20 day supply because that to me that's the sweet spot and it, it allows everybody to make money and be profitable. Well, you know, that's uh the, the that's that's the thing the the uh the manufacturers have the dealers at literally a gunpoint you have to buy as many cars as they tell you 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 have to buy and the uh the for a, the what what drove it up at the beginning the we, the unions had the manufacturers over the barrel and they had yeah. to build as many cars as the union said so there's a lot of a lot of uh parts parts in play and we'll uh we'll we'll see how how it change out but but what do what do we need to change as an industry? What do you need to change at the dealership level, at the salesperson level, to uh, to function, uh, you know, to, to thrive in this in, th- in this uh, in this day where people have to order their cars and they don't get that immediate gratification of the car, you know, right then and there. As soon as they as soon as they uh, stroke the check, boom, they get the keys. Well, you know, the, the that's been another reset because for salespeople, you're usually in today business and it's a business of instant gratification. And you're having to change the mindset of, okay, I need to look down the line. And, and that's one of the things you notice the high, the high achievers in our industry do. They think long, medium, and short term. And the, the average person, the average salesperson, or the ones below average, you think they just think short term. They don't think about building a relationship. So by you ordering a car, it almost forces you to build a relationship. Because if you don't, if you, let's say the customer ordered a car from you three or six months ago, if you wait until the car gets there, they may have forgot about you. They may have ordered somewhere else. It forces you to follow up and, and build a relationship and, and build that anticipation for the guests and say, hey, you know, here's what's going on. And then knowing that it's not just your dealership, it's not just your brand, it's everywhere. And it doesn't matter where they go, chances are the car that they want is not going to be on the ground unless they get extremely lucky. Yeah, I mean, I love that you said that because that's what I call it. It's forced follow up. You yeah. have to make friends right then and there, because if you if if you if you uh, if you uh, deliver and you're done, or you, if you you know sign the deal and you're done, you ain't done because because uh, it ain't done until 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 they drive off, and that could be six twelve months from now when, mm-hmm. when you get that car. So you have you have to learn to make friends. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, you do. You have no choice. Yeah. So yeah, well, let's talk about the book. You, and you go you go through the book from your very first days. It's the rules to the game, my life in the car business. It's available on Amazon. Charles Cannon the third CC. It says in the book is for his, yeah. friends, his friends and his mama calls him. His mom his mama's here today. So so yeah. hi moms. Everybody say hi. Um, but you you did a great job of of, of pointing out and and I, I you know I've got I've got young nephews who are who are 22, 23 years old looking for for their way in the world and I've I've recommended the car business to them and I, I got the, kind of the same response that I think you had then is well I, I, I don't really I'm not, that wasn't what I was planning on doing I'm, I'm planning on my, my nephew be, being a chef and 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 you were planning on being a veterinarian and you know uh, the car business for so many is what happens when your plans don't work out. Yes, and then people find out how much opportunity there is in the car business. 
even even with these two years that we've had, what are the opportunities in the car business look like right now? You know, right now, and, and I've frankly, I've been talking to some of my salespeople about it that started in this business two years ago, that this is such an unprecedented time. And the amount of money they're making is not normal, quote unquote, because, you know, we're looking at where if you just if you're just an average, below average salesperson, you're going to sell a car and you're going to make great money versus what it was pre-COVID where you really had to work. So I'm working on changing the mentality of our team and, and think of, you know, building a business within a business. I know that sounds cliche, but that's really what it is. If you look at it that way and look, how can you generate your own business and not rely on dealership traffic? That's, that's where the people that are long-term successful make great money. And, you know, I, I wish I was taught that in the very beginning, um, I was taught, you know, just deal with the customer in front of you and figure it out and and learn and learn on, you know, trial by error. There wasn't really a lot of training involved when I first got into business. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty standard in the car business. And and this is like th- this this idea of uh, William J. and in, 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 in the chat box calls it hunting mentality versus a farming mentality. Yeah. You know, the, the, today. People just stand at the dealership and and they they uh, they're they're picking they're they're picking that low hanging fruit because there's fruit swinging by you know every, every day and that you got you got all you got all the leads but uh, that that's not the way it's always been and you 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 uh, you talked about in the book the things that you did as a salesperson uh, to start building this and this this idea of of building the business within the business and and building yourself up and building these relationships and living off the the repeats and the viral referrals and getting more reviews. That's that's like the secret that you don't really learn. Most most uh, most salespeople don't learn until a couple of years in the business because those first couple of years is just flailing, desperately, th- uh, you know, trying to survive. And then you figure out the way you should have been doing it all along. <laughs> yeah, well, not only that, but even if you do teach somebody because it's not instant gratification, they'll dip their toes into it and they'll forget about it because oh, I'm selling the customer in front of me. And the problem is, is that eventually your your business goes like this because you're you're relying on dealership traffic. And I, I preach all the time that, you know, you have to think of it uh, long-term. You have to build relationships. You have to figure out what can you do that fits your personality to get customers in the door that come and ask for you repeatedly. And, you know, I, I always tell people just, you know, use the technology we have. Like, you know, we have software to where, you know, when a customer comes in into our service drive and they bought a car for you in the past, you know, if, you know, if, you know, for example, they're golf fanatics, and they come into service, you know, you go buy some golf balls with this branded with your cart, with your brand on there, just put it on the dash, say, hey, I thought about you, boom, here you go. And, you know, that stuff like that goes a long way. You know, following people on social media, you know, obviously you need permission to do that. But when you follow them on social media and you build relationships that way, that's a quick, easy way to follow with somebody. You see when somebody had a baby, when they got a new job, you know, different things like that, you can tell them congratulations. And they go, oh, yeah, this is you know, this is my salesperson that, you know, reached out to me and, and genuinely cares about me and my family and what's going on. Yeah. And and, and you build a relationship. And and another thing that happens in, in the business, and, and this is one of the things that, that you went through, is you got to be pretty good at this, that you, that you built these relationships. And this is the big opportunity from, from a salesperson level and from a dealership level, too. The big opportunity is your opportunity to, to build these connections on, on social media. We've got, I've got more contacts in this than NASA had in every computer in the world, you know, 15 years ago, I, literally the, the world is at my fingertips. I can, I can have this conversation just like this. And these are opportunities, uh, you know, that we didn't have 20, 20 even 10, 10 years ago. So, yeah. you know, we, that's the big opportunity, but the, uh, the, uh, the conundrum is once a salesperson gets to be pretty good at that, 
and they're first getting that taste of good money. They're, they're, they're getting the cars rolling in. They're, they're starting to build this book, book of business. They're starting to see some repeats and referrals. Uh, the big boss comes, knocks on their door and says, hey, you ought to be a manager. And uh, yeah. not everybody is thrilled about that. And not everybody ought to do that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a totally different skill set. I tell people that all the time. Just because you're a great salesperson does not make you a great manager. Um, you have to learn because you have to learn to lead people and you have to learn to genuinely care. And not everybody has a mentality because, you know, when you're a salesperson, it's really team I. You know, obviously you work when the confines of dealership and you do what's best for your fellow salespeople and all that. But it's really an individual sport to a certain degree. When you're a manager, it is not team I. If you're team I, you won't last long. If you only worry about what's best for you, you don't care about the other people. And then you have to worry about it's a skill set of training people, holding them accountable, make sure they're following up. And, and, you know, you're imparting your knowledge on that person and, and the people around you to make sure that they're doing the job they're supposed to do. So and and so how do, how do you do that? How, I mean this and 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 I, I struggle with this and this is one of the things I do is I train salespeople to market themselves. I, I tell everybody I'm the worst sales trainer in the history of the world because I never sold a car, Could, couldn't couldn't close a screen door on a submarine, but I'm a heck of a marketer. And I think the the sales job has changed uh, much more uh, and is is in the process of changing from a closing job to a marketing job. Uh, but getting people over that hurdle and looking past the next hill and the next up uh, is, isn't as easy as it sounds. How do you how do you do that? Well, you know, from my point of view, I just I relay my personal experiences of stuff I did. And, you know, I tell all kinds of stuff. And I know that if I tell people 10 ideas, they may gravitate to one or two. They, again, depending on the personality or comfort level and different things like that. And then I try to find things that are free. Obviously, it may t- there's time involved, but you know, just different things they can do to, to follow with their guests. And, and I always tell them you have to think long-term strategy. What is best for the guests? What is best so you can build a relationship with them? So then they want to voluntarily refer their friends and family to you. Oh, I know this person down the street. They take care of me all the time on cars. And, you know, and I tell them, you know, ironically, the people that, you know, don't mind paying more money for a vehicle because they're, they're paying for your experience. That's necessarily just a car. And when you have that point, that's when you make crazy amounts of money in this business. And I tell people that all the time and I preach it. And again, it's it's hard because again, a lot of people's mentality is just so short term. And, you know, a lot of them, frankly, are like, I don't know if this is going to be my career. This is just my job. And so that's a totally different mindset as well. So you have to, they have to be dedicated that this is their career. This is what they see doing five or 10 years down the line. Because if they think like that, then they know that I have to build a book of business. So I have repeat sustainable work. I don't have to work 60, 70 hours a week. I can work 30, 40 hours and get the same amount of results, if not better. And so those are things that they have to weigh. And if we as an industry do that, I think that it'll reduce our turnover uh, because, you know, people obviously think sales is, you know, working 12 hour days, six days a week. And it doesn't have to be if you work smart. Yeah, I, t- I, t- I tell everybody, listen, if you if you have to work 60 hours a week to get your job done, you, you're doing it wrong. Exactly. I promise you, you're doing, you're doing it wrong. And you, you when you made that switch in your head, uh, you said in the book, when you made that switch in your head, you started looking around to the people who were selling 50, 100 cars a month and trying to figure out what they were doing. And you said success leaves clues. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, when I um, after I got let go at the Cadillac store as a pre-owned manager and my wife's in the hospital, you know, with my youngest daughter, I was like, you know, I, I want to I'm going back to the last dealership I was at. I said, you know, I'm really going to, this is my career. I'm really going to dig in and see what people are doing. So I Google search. I looked online. I reached out to people. I went to seminars. I, you name it, I did it. 
And I just, as I was learning stuff, I would just pick one or two things to implement and I try it. And okay, that worked good. If not, okay, I put it to the side and I kept trying things. And then I was starting to see results. And so I knew it worked. And I had a formula down because actually right before I got promoted, I, I was getting to the point to where I was transitioning. I was forcing myself not to take up so I could work on building my book and business because I didn't want to get that instant gratification. I was thinking long-term so then I, I could work you know, 30, 40 hours and sell 40, 50 cars a month because I knew it was possible because I've seen other people in the industry do it. So does it work the other way? Now, now you're sitting in the big chair in the big office and uh, you, you know, you're looking to find someone who can uh, who who can pick that up? What are the clues you're looking for on the front end for someone who might have a career in the car business, either as as a long term salesperson that they're going to be in for for years and build a book of business that they can live off of forever, or that they're going to progress up and now you know you're you're working for a corporate dealer. You can you can advance through management, be the general manager of a dealership, and even into the the corporate uh, the corporate end of things. So what are you looking for to find someone to, to put on the, one of those two paths? Well, you know, the main thing, I just ask them, what is it, what their end goal is? You know, is their goal to move up in management? Is their goal to be on the floor? And if their goal is to move up to management, then I, I find out why, uh, why do they want to move up? And then, um, you know, we figure out what the game plan is. And I just tell them, this is what I did. And again, what works for me may not necessarily work for you, but there are basic fundamental steps. Um, but, you know, the main thing I always tell people is have a server mentality, because if you don't, you won't last long. I don't care who you are. I mean, be humble enough to say, you know, I don't know what I don't know, but let's figure it out together. Um, you know, and and genuinely care for the people around you. You know, genuinely want to build a relationship, genuinely want to see them to win. And don't worry, don't don't make decisions just based on just money. Yeah. Do make decisions that's based on what's best for the team and the store overall. And I always tell people if you do that, the money will follow. Yeah, a, a buddy of mine, Bob Berg, great author of the book, the uh, the book, The Go Giver. He told yeah, me there's no such book. thing as it's no, there's no 50 50. It's yeah. not win win. It's all about the customer. Yeah. And if you and if you can't figure that out, you, I mean, you 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 probably uh, you're, you're probably looking at a sh- at a short term path. Absolutely. Yeah, I always tell people that uh, dictators get shot. If you have a dictator mentality, you will not be in the business long. I mean, people get turned off by that kind of stuff, especially nowadays. Yeah. One of the rules you talked about in the book was was the, the, the role of habit, the role of consistency of, of, of building yourself up. Thomas is asking in the chat, so do you believe salespeople and managers create good habits in tough times and bad habits in good times? Like you were just saying, uh, that, or, and, and how, do, how do we prevent those bad habits from taking ground so that, uh, so that when times do uh, change, everyone's ready to, to get in there and actually do the work of connecting with the customer? Well, in my opinion, it starts with management. Um, they have they have to want to be successful. They have to they have to want to see. Okay, this is what's happening, and if they have a sense of urgency like it was pre COVID, it'll be fine. But the problem is everybody gets comfortable because everybody's making money. But you know the market is going to change. We, we we know that we don't know if it's going to be next month or a year from now or two years from now. But we know it's going to change. So let's pretend that it's changed now. Let's build the habits now that you would normally do. Pre-COVID, make the phone calls, do the follow-up, you know, make sure a manager talks to a customer, do training on the product, uh, care about the care about the guests. You do all that. And then when the market does change, you'll be prepared. Because I promise you, your competition, majority of these stores are not going to be doing that. They're going to wait till market changes. And when that happens, they're going to fall in place. Then it's going to take time for them to build up. You know, a lot of people are going to quit because all of a sudden I'm having to make twice the calls to make 
half amount of money and it's not right. You know, it just a lot of things happen. So if you if you set up expectations up front, you shouldn't have those problems or not as bad. Some of the things that you did uh, as a salesperson and, uh, and and now is a great time for, for, for salespeople to be doing this because, you know, what's just coming through the, through the door and, and the money's great and uh, because because of the margins. But you're you know, even if you have a one and done customer, if you have a one and done customer now, that's I, when I interviewed Ali Rita, uh, Ali Rita, number one car salesperson mm-hmm. in the world. He told me that he doesn't think about selling a car to a single person. He thinks about selling a car to the entire family for yep. the rest of their lives. Yep. And uh, and and yep. some of the stuff that you did, the, the personal branding stuff and building your website and sending out videos and sending birthday cards and 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 holiday cards with your face on them because everybody loves a smiling face and, and big, beautiful eyes. So put, putting your face on Facebook, putting your face on birthday cards and thank you cards. You did all these things and people can start doing those now to build that future, to give them options down the road. Oh, absolutely. I always tell people snail mail is old school, but it works because nobody does it. Yeah. And uh, I challenge people all the time. I said sending out something like a, a birthday card, a handwritten birthday card goes a long way because everybody's used to getting a text or an email People appreciate a handwritten birthday card. Hey, happy birthday. And, and I'll, I'll let you on a secret, which a lot of people don't know. My handwriting is terrible. So yeah. it took a lot for me to sit there and make sure that, you know, I did it right. But, you know, people appreciated that. And yeah, my, my holiday cards, I would do. And, and I did holiday cards. I didn't do Christmas cards because I know not everybody celebrates Christmas. So I always did holiday cards. And I sent mine out right after Thanksgiving because I wanted to make sure it was the first card they got. And normally when I did it, it was a picture of me and my whole family. You know, I wanted them to know that I wasn't just a car salesperson. I had my family, you know, and this is, uh, this is who I support and this is why I work hard. Yeah. And the great thing is if you send it out on Thanksgiving, it stays on the mantle all mm-hmm. month yep. long. And, and, and whatever you're sending out, this, this is stuff that, that stays on the refrigerator. Uh, for, you know, in some cases, I, I, I send out a lot of cards. I talked to a, a manager the other day. I sent him a card when he opened his new store seven years ago. He told me that that's been sitting on a bulletin board across from his desk every day for the last seven years. So so the yeah. great things about snail mail and old school is it sticks around. It does. It does because nobody does it. And so, you know, and I challenge people right now, go the opposite way too. Do send out videos, send out video chats, send out video emails and a lot of people are very uncomfortable with that because you know the putting the video together is you know kind of nerve-wracking but i say you know just step out the comfort zone and try it the worst can they because you can always edit it before you send it worst case scenario they they don't like it no big deal but is it any different than sending out a stale mail yeah i mean there are not going to be too many people mad at you when you send a video hey mr smith i thought about you happy birthday hope everything's going well people are going to love that because nobody's doing that so you, you try to find things to do that are unique in the market that nobody else is doing and uh, that helps you stand out. Yeah, I, I, I tell everyone, no, no one's sitting around the dealership practicing leaving a voicemail, you know, taking doing their voicemail, taking 100 takes. You leave the call and you leave it and you make another call. Video is mm-hmm. just the same thing. It's just the camera's on. Exactly. That's exactly. all. So we got we got one. We got a question coming in here that talks about the customer experience, doing things for the customer. And that he talks about the. Um, uh, the time that it takes to close the deal. And I, I, I think that's probably the, the biggest thing that uh, the people dislike about the car business is how long it takes to buy a car. Uh, do you think that's a problem? And how do we fix that? It is. It is a sore point. Um, we all as an industry recognize that. And I know we're working on streamlining that. Um, you know, I was reading an article the, the other day that I guess it's a Gen, Gen Z that's their huge pain point. They don't want to wait. They're, you know, because they're used to getting everything quick now. So 
we as an industry have to adjust. And I think that's why we're a lot of people are transitioning and do as much stuff as possible online. So when they come in, the car is ready to go or we take the car to them directly. Um, but that definitely is a pain point that we have to, as an industry, figure out. So we're, go- we're going through these changes. We have these pain points that we're overcoming. There's the, there's the old school stuff that, that still works and the opportunities that are there. Let's talk about uh, the, the before we open it up. Let's let's talk about the future. Uh, what what do you think is going to change? Let's put the cap on two years. We've been through the the strangest two years that either of us has seen in the car business. What's the next couple of years look like, and what do dealers and salespeople need to do now to start getting ready for that? Well, obviously, the next big evolution is the electric car, and we as an industry have to figure that out. Figure out what that looks like, not only for sales but for service as well. Um, you know, we need to learn to speak that language. Um, you know, like, for example, Lexus, we have a vehicle coming out early next year, our first car, but they have multiple cars coming down the line and all the manufacturers are the same way. But we have to know that's a different type of guest versus a traditional one as far as what their expectations are. And so us being able as industry set up the expectations of how that shift's going to work. And um, I think that, again, the next challenge is how much can we do online? And what does that look like for for the not only for the salesperson but for the dealership as well, and and the guests? What is that? What is the next online transition as far as being able to do all the paperwork from a legal point of view completely online, so where they don't have to come in at all? Um, you know, obviously, I think in the next couple of years that'll be the big thing to figure out. I think, and, and everyone's always looking for the silver bullet. And I think digital retailing is that thing. It, it, it got this, and everybody got this. Uh, electric vehicles are another. It's another sore spot that they, everyone is all or nothing. Uh, and we were either going to be digital retailing and EVs, or we're going to be old school and internal combustion engines. And and that's not the way customers think. They could not care less. They want to get what they want with the least amount of trouble and the least amount of time as possible. And whatever tools you have to use to get that, even digital retailing, you got to be a human being at the other end of it, or it's just going to be another robot getting in the way. Absolutely. And you know, that I think in my opinion, that's something that these uh, manufacturers that are trying to go direct to consumer are missing is that human element. Yeah, I know that, uh, you know, for example, Tesla, that's what they do. But I think that for the most part, people still want to interact with humans when it comes to this. They just don't want to feel like they're getting screwed over and they want to deal with somebody that feel like they know what they're doing. So that's, uh, I think once we figure out that balance, I think we'll be fine as an industry. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, it's, it's one human being talking to another human being and the human connection is going to win every single time, as long as you act like a human being. We got a couple of minutes. Anyone want to open it up, have, have a comment or a question for Charles? Uh, uh, we got we can free for all for just unmute and uh, and hop in if you feel if you feel froggy. Need to go to here or where else? There. Yeah. What car is it? All right. So William, you were about to jump in. Yeah, I'll go ahead and jump in if it's oh, Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, I'm saying there's there is a faster way instead of just putting onus on you know getting the car ready for when the customer arrives. That's great, mm-hmm. everything, but. It's so much faster when you can get the information from the customer about their trade, about the background of what you're looking at, and have all the documents prepared so that when they get there, you're just checking the car out, verifying that it's uh, what you expected it to be as far as a trade goes, if if there is one, uh, what the what the uh, amount owed is going to be, if there is any. And then uh, while that's getting checked out by the management the salesperson can then be taking the customer out on the test drive to make sure the car is everything that they expected it to be when they're looking at buying one. So by the time you get the test drive, everything's done. It's just, are you in or you out? But here, here's what we figured out for you. 
Yeah, which is why it's, it's very important to build that repeat and referral business. Because if you have that repeat and referral business, trust is already there. They're going to take your word for it. And it's a quick, easy deal. It's way quicker than somebody just walking fresh off the door. So, so with the with yeah. the uh, with uh, Ali Rita told me it's four times faster. That that that's the yeah. difference. Four times faster, you can close the deal faster. And and um, but a lot of that's is too is because not not only the trust, but because of the disconnect with the transactional customers. They put the lead in at cars.com. They've entered all this information four times by the time they get to you. And most of the time the salesperson wants to start collecting it again when they sit down because they've got to go through their road to, to the sale. And I, I think that is all internal communication and be ready to get the deal done when it's time to do the deal. Hey, 100%. I got a quick question for uh, Charles and, and William. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Thomas. You, you know, there's a couple of comments flying around earlier about, you know, day's supply, right? So we, we used to have like a 20 year relationship with Nissan. If you, if you went pre pandemic and took all the Nissans on the lots for all the dealers across the country, you had about 360,000 vehicles sitting there today, it's around 17,000, right? So their day supply went from, you know, 65, 70, something like that down to single digits. And I know it's climbing a little bit, but at the end of the day, OEMs are saying one thing, right? They want to keep day supply low. I just don't know if I'm buying that. And here's why, you know, OEMs make their money wholesaling ICE vehicles, especially the trucks and SUVs. Sedans are only 25% of the vehicles sold today anyway, right? Uh-huh. Well, every time they're wholesaling those vehicles to Charles and William, I mean, they're they're making the most money that they can on those trucks and SUV. And OEM EV margins are about 30% less than ICE vehicles, right? Pre-COVID, those plants were running around 80% capacity. Today, they're at 60. I just have a feeling that when they can, they're going to ramp those plant production back up to 80, 85 percent. Because I think they got to fund those. I, I think they got to wholesale those trucks and SUV so they can fund their EV initiatives. Those initiatives, I mean, Ford, 11 billion on a plant in Tennessee and Kentucky, Hyundai, 5 billion on a plant in Georgia. You got R&D, you got battery, you got massive overhead. It's hard to make the math work. I know they'll continue to figure it out. But for me, when somebody from the factory saying, yeah, we want to keep day supply low, I don't know if I'm buying that because they got to sell those trucks and SUVs to fund their habit. And I just don't know if I'm a believer in that yet. So I just wanted to hear what Charles and William uh, would have to say about something like that. You know, I, that's why I said I agree with you. Um, I, I am fearful that, you know, five years down the line, it, it could creep up to that level. I hope it doesn't. Right. Um, you know, but right now they're they're emphasizing uh, all the manufacturers emphasizing turn, i.e. how quick you sell the car once it hits a lot. And obviously, the dealers that turn the cars faster get more access to inventory than dealers that don't. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree that that could be an issue down the line. They creep up to, you know, where it, they said 20 now, it could be five years from now, 40, 50, could be 60 again if they see, you know, they, they need the money to, for their R&D and pay their bills. Well, and with the uh, with the run to EVs and everything, all of a sudden, we they've got to be able to manage the electrical grid as well. So if, if we're having brownouts yep. and blackouts like crazy in California because they're pushing for that so hard there, and the rest of the country knows that they're not going to have that uh, ability to match up because they're running slower, I mean they're going to have to do something in the meantime. So I don't know that it's going to hit up so fast, but I may see. I w- I would imagine they'll do things like um, you know little price increases here and there as we go along just just so they can you know hit their uh targets for revenue but but not necessarily have it to where um 
the, the cars are going to get pumped out any faster or any or, or any more bulk because they they want to keep that demand up. And if the supply is down, the demand is going to stay high. And then, you know, from the dealer standpoint, um, if they like it where it is, where they're not paying all, all the bank fees for, for having uh, cars in, in their inventory uh, for extensive periods of time, they don't have any, any type of um, incentive to to move things much faster anyway. They, they like having a list that they can build off of. And so when the car yeah. uh, arrives at the dealership, they can sell it right off the delivery truck because they already have a reservation on it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're selling up. They used to sell off the lot. Now they sell off the list, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I got dealers that sell off the wall. They keep all the invoices hanging on the wall. When the, when the truck gets sold, they, they pull that invoice down. It's gone. It won't be here for three months, but it's gone now. And, but I think the, uh, the, the deal from the manufacturers is it's a big game of chicken. It's just to see who blinks first, because I guarantee you, you get to the end of the fiscal year and Ford's in danger of losing that uh, F-150 as being the top selling truck in America. They're going to open up the spigots and get those, they'll get those assembly lines rolling. They'll, they'll, they'll crank mm-hmm. those trucks out. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I find it interesting. I don't, I can't remember if it was an automotive news and it made big news when, you know, Jim Farley from Ford said, you know, we got to go to 100% online with EVs. There'll be no EV inventory at the dealerships. It's direct to consumer and all that. I mean, is he looking at Tesla? Is he looking at Elon Musk and saying, t- Elon spends $0 on advertising. His only outlet's Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Think about what Ford spends. I mean, your typical OEM wholesale gross profits on a nice vehicles, 15 to 17%. Elon's making 33 you know, he's Elon's like, I got the Tesla three, a $35,000 EV everyone can afford. Now he's had seven price increases. You can't touch one for under 47 grand. I'm just wondering if Farley's looking at the margins and how Elon's going to market and saying, I can eliminate the dealer and do that too on the EV, but still keep the dealers happy with the ICE vehicles. I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong. I think the dealers are severely underestimated by Farley and what he's talking about. And at the end of, end of the day, I've always put my trust in the dealers because they've always persevered every single time through thick and thin. And if Farley's thinking about going direct on EV and just having the dealer be the delivery center, getting a fee for doing that, I just think that's a slippery slope. And I think all they're looking at is the dollars because he sees what Elon's margins are at 33%. He's not even half that. So that's kind of scary. I don't like it. I've always been a pro dealer guy, but um, that when Farley said that, I thought I think it caught a lot of people's attention. I, I don't know if you all agree with that, but it was a very interesting comment that he made publicly. No, I, I read that in Automotive News, I guess, a month ago when he said it. And yeah, I, I disagree. I, I think that he's, he is trying to copy Tesla and other manufacturers are watching. But, you know, I, I just feel bad for the dealers. I mean, think how many dealers like recently renovated their buildings and spent millions of dollars to renovate. All of a sudden, he's going to yeah. cut them out on a hot new product. I don't think that's fair. And I think our dealer, our dealerships as an industry, we're getting misaligned for selling cars over MSRP. And while I don't, I understand their point of view, you know, I always educate people that, you know, if you're used to selling 500 cars a month and all of a sudden you're selling 50 or 75, well, you still have the personnel like you're selling 500 and you still need to, you got to pay your bills because you got to lay people off. And the other thing is, is that, you know, I tell people, I say, you're getting more for your trade than you have thousands more than you normally would at any given time. And you see people all the time flipping these cars on different websites. I, I look at different uh, like cars and bids and bring a trailer where people are flipping these cars and making 50, 100 grand themselves. And yeah. so, you know, and nobody complains when they're doing it. And, you know, 
it's it, again, it's a delicate balance, but I heard that was one of the things he was complaining about is that people are charging over way over MSRP. And granted, there are some dealers out there that are, that are getting greedy. In my yeah, you saw you saw Mac Hake and the Corvette thing yes. where they got kind of publicly shamed about, yes. you know, they had they sold it. I don't know what was it a Zio, Zio 90, 90 over MSRP, 90 yeah. over MSRP. And then yeah. all the people who had incoming one to order, he took them back down to MSRP. But if they, you know, he got he kind of got called out in public, that was kind of crazy. You don't usually see something like that. It was. Yeah, that that one was bad. But then those same people can buy that car and flip it for ninety over MSRP. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think uh, I, I, th- I think the thing to remember the magic behind all this is is when Farley says all this stuff, uh, when Carvana says all the things that they say and all the things that they do, and uh, and uh, CarMax and uh, and even even uh, you know Elon Musk, they're they're really not selling cars; they're selling stock. They're talking to Wall Street when they do that, and 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 what what that's that's all smoke and vapor. That's you know who know who knows what's going to happen. They're in the they're in the business of pumping that stock up. Farley's bonus is based on stock price, yeah. and uh, so they want to they want to drive that stock up. And they can get they not only can they get they don't have to necessarily get the margins on the EVs, uh, but the PE ratios are much bigger for for PE for uh, EV sellers. Uh, Seven forty. So we've had a great conversation. Maybe maybe run just a little bit long. Uh, one more question: Does anybody have anything or comment before we wrap it up? There we go. Everyone looks lovely. There's 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 mom. Hi mom. She she turned on her camera. Mark Easter, the old guy back in there. Hey Mark, guy, Baron, Granny, Sherry. Thank you so much for popping in. Charles, last word. What do you have to say about the rules to the game and your life in the car business? Well, thank you, Jerry, for having me on. Uh, you know, the book just talks about beginning life, the, the, you know, how I got in business by accident and, you know, just perseverance. You know, everybody goes through stuff. They they fail and, and uh, you know, struggle. And you just got to figure it out and figure out, is this really the career for you? If it is, sky's the limit. It really is. This is a business to where there is no income salary cap. You know, the only cap is the limit you put on yourself. I tell people that all the time. So, you put in the work and you have a goal of how much money you want to make, just do the math, work backwards, and you can get there. Very easy. Yeah. The, the book is available on Amazon. Visit there and uh, and get you a copy. And uh, It's also available on Apple and Audible as well. Apple and Audible. Did, did you read here? This is my question because I'm, I'm researching this now. Did, is, is, are, are you the voice guy? Are you the I am the voice guy. guy. Yeah, you're the voice yes. guy on the book. You can pull I, I, that off, Charles. Many of us can't. <laughs> I didn't think I could either. Don't you know? It was. I just said I didn't want to pay anybody to do it. I said I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's a tough call. I'm, I'm I'm making that decision right now. Charles, thank you so much for popping in. Everyone, thank you for joining. I'll I'll get this uh, the video posted up on YouTube and in my, uh, my my Facebook group and on my webpage and everything over the the next couple of days. And uh, y- y'all stay in touch. Thanks everyone.